Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning to you guys once again. I'm going to dive right into the Word of God. i got a lot to say in a short amount of time. We are starting this brand new series called Killing Kryptonite. Um, We're doing something that we've never done before. We are taking uh, John Bevere's brand new book. Uh, Several of our small groups that meet in the mornings throughout the week will be meeting to discuss this um, book and um, the the previous Sunday's sermon. A little plug for mine, 8 a.m. Tuesday mornings, Wild Bean. Um, I'll be there if you would like to come hang out, talk about the, uh, the message from today. I would love to see you at 8 o'clock this coming Tuesday morning. Um, with this um, whole killing kryptonite thing, I'll be honest with you, when I first picked up the book and uh, started reading it, at first I was shocked at um, some truths that, that I guess I've kind of known, but didn't know, I didn't know them to the extent to which um, John Bevere began to bring out. And so um, I, I'll be honest, I, I labored over this word all week long. And when I say I labored, I, I really struggled with it because today's message is going to be extremely heavy, um, going to be difficult. Uh, I told some guys before the first service today, it's kind of like uh, going in for surgery. You know you need it, uh, but nobody wants to go under the knife. But unless you do, you're not getting better. Um, and today's going to be a little bit like that, but I think if you can hang in till the end of the message, you will see uh, the positive side of it. How many of you have seen Superman? All right, that's where we get kryptonite. Uh, some similarities, all right? If you've seen Superman, uh, then you know that Superman is not of this world. You and I, as children of God, are not of this world. Superman possesses supernatural powers. We have been supernaturally empowered. Superman fights evil, we are called to fight evil. He protects and liberates those who are oppressed by villains, and we are called to set the captives free. He draws strength from the sun, S-U-N. We draw strength from the sun, S-O-N. And there is only one thing that can stop Superman, and that is kryptonite. Kryptonite is, obviously, it's fictional, but it was a substance in the Superman movies that caused Superman not only to, he, he could no longer do the supernatural things, but he became a common man and even worse than a common. He became weaker than a common man due to the, the kryptonite. And we're going to talk about our spiritual kryptonite. And next week we, we will get into exactly like the specifics of what that is. But today I want to talk to you about this thought the power of one. Everybody say that. The power of one, okay? The power of one is what I want to theme this as today. Um, Again, this is going to be a heavy, heavy message, but I think we will be better for it at the end. I want to start with this truth. True satisfaction can only be found in an intimate relationship with our Creator. You can chase money, cars, houses, popularity, fame, all that stuff, but we all know people like that that have taken their own lives. They had everything that money could buy and still did not have fulfillment. Only a relationship with Jesus brings true satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time, and he has planted eternity in our hearts. 
Uh, I want to stop here and just say God has planted eternity in your heart and in my heart. And what that means is, is that you and I are eternal beings. Whether we spend eternity in heaven or hell, how many of you understand we live forever? Okay, that, that's a heavy truth in and of itself, that we will live forever, either in heaven or hell. We are eternal beings that God has placed a part of himself in you, a part of himself in me. Job said, there is a spirit in man, and it is the breath of Almighty. Romans chapter 1 tells us in verses 19 and 20 that God has made it obvious uh, about who he is. Like, uh, if you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus, you can look at his creation and know that there is a mastermind behind this universe that we live in. How many know you can look outside and see the sun and the blue sky? And if you don't believe me, just travel to a beach somewhere and look at the ocean and then tell me that there's no God, right? Like he has made it obvious that there is a God, that, that, that he exists, that he has created everything that you and I see. And, and what that means is, is that God is not unknown to anyone. God has revealed himself to all of us. Whether we're saved or not, God has made it clear that he exists. And we serve an awesome God. I mean, when you look at God, even the seraphim in heaven are praising him night and day. And, and they praise him with such passion that the Bible says that the doorposts of heaven, uh, that, that they shake. I mean, they're, they're praising him with such passion that the doorposts shake. And so we know that we serve an awesome God. But I said all that to say this. You and I, as children of God, are called to manifest God's character, God's attributes. Look, look for, just from Scripture, here's some things you and I are called to manifest. His divine nature, his unselfish character, his unconditional love, his joy, his peace, his supernatural power, well-being, vitality, health, safety, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, insight, and creativity. All of those are things that as children of God, you and I should be displaying in the earth. It's like the series we talked about in January, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, on earth as it is in heaven. You and I are to pray that, but also to display heaven on earth, okay? But this is where the rubber meets the road. Oftentimes, when we look at the church, okay, as a whole, I'm not just talking about Bethesda, I'm talking about the church as a whole, when we look at the church and then we look at the world, we don't see a difference. We manifest the same things the world does. Divisiveness, gossip, backbiting, divorce is at the same level. Come on, somebody, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We're supposed to be displaying heaven on earth, but when you look at the world and you look at the church, many times you don't see any difference at all. And so we have to step back and address the elephant in the room. What's the problem? Because even under the old covenant, when you look at the old covenant, you can see there um, one, one example is that in one place that the Bible tells us that there was so much silver, so much abundance in that time that silver became worthless because of the surplus. That under the old covenant, they were manifesting God's abundance and yet we come to 
today, and, and many pastors, many leaders, many churches struggle to fulfill what they feel God has called them to do to change their community because of a lack of resources, a lack of funding to be able to accomplish the will of God. And so we have to step back and say, what is the problem? First uh, Kings chapter 4, verse 25 says, During the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had its own home and garden. When you look at that, from north to south in the whole nation of Israel, not one person needed to be cared for and not one individual, not one group, okay, needed government funding. God met all the needs. God took care of his people. And so when we look at that in the Old Testament, how they flourished many times from generation to generation, they flourished economically, they flourished relationally, their military was, was really strong. They had all these things going for them. And then we fast forward to the New Covenant and even to the church now, and we have to ask, what's the deal? Because Jesus said that we are under a New Covenant based on better promises. Now, here's a verse that's really going to mess your theology up. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God... I'm going to just stop there and say that again. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. When I look at the church, I don't see Jesus all the time. I, when I look at Jesus, I see him healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, providing resources. I, I see Jesus doing a lot of incredible things. And yet when I look at the church, I don't always see us living as... Because he's not saying live as Jesus did when we get to heaven. He's saying, no, we're called to live as Jesus did on the earth. And so we have to address the issue. What's wrong with the church? Why do we not see what the Bible says we should see with the modern church. Are we as effective as even the early church? Think about the book of Acts, the church's birth. And in two years' time, they're able to reach the entire known world without Facebook, Internet, TV, or radio. Come on, somebody. We got all that stuff, and we can't even reach our own community. And I think a lot of times it's because we as individuals, we as the body, are not manifesting the kingdom like Jesus has called us to manifest it. We have to look at it and say, what's the deal? Because James chapter 1, he says this, don't just listen to God's word, all right? You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. So that means that the proof that I believe something is not that I say amen to the teacher, amen to the preacher. The proof that I really believe something is that I am reflecting that truth. It's easy to say when, when, when somebody says we should love everybody, amen, that's right, but when we go home and we hate people. Man, I may just preach today. It, it, there, there's a difference, and we have to say, what, why? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his 
divine nature, share his divine nature, and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We often say things like this, um, there's no difference between a Christian and a sinner. But when we say things like that, we are actually speaking heresy. And the reason we're speaking heresy is because when we say there's no difference between me as a, as a child of God than a sinner who doesn't know Jesus, then I am, I am demeaning what God has done for us in Jesus. And I'm also nullifying all of his promises. Did you know there are certain promises that are yours as a child of God that do not belong to the world? That there are some things God has for you? And the question is, is why, why don't we have those promises? Why are we not displaying the promises that God has, has said is ours. And, and in the book, and I, I encourage you to pick up Killing Crypt. Obviously, we can't cover an entire book in three weeks, all right? But, but uh, John, he writes and he talks about uh, even in nature we see this. I mean, do dogs give birth to cats? No. Do, do rabbits give birth to lions? No. All right? We are God's children, Made in his image, after his likeness. What does that mean? As his offspring, we ought to reflect him. So the question is, is why are we not reflecting Christ? Why are we not reflecting God? Um, and I want you to consider this today because this is uh, about saving lives because I think it's that important. And this is why I labored over this message all week long. It's like going to the doctor and you arrive at the doctor's office, and it's a routine checkup, and, and the doctor notices that you have a tumor. He, he, he knows it. He, he sees it. But instead of telling you, you know what, if you'll go under the knife, and we can do an outpatient thing, have you out in no time, and you'll live. You'll be fine. Instead of doing that, he don't want to ruin your day. So instead of telling you the truth that you have a tumor, he's like, no, nah, just go on. You're good. Eat, you know, drink, be merry. You know, have, have a good life. And then two years later, you die. A lot of times we look at the truth as being harsh. God loves us too much not to tell us the truth. He loves us way too much not to tell us the truth. The Apostle Paul loved the church at Corinth with a, with a great passion, yet he called them out on their mess. He called them out on their issues. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 27. It says, So anyone who eats this bread, drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, is guilty of, of sin, sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating um, the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Verse 30, this is, this is so, you, you got to underline this scripture, you know, highlight it in your you version, but, but pay attention to this. He says, this is why many of you are weak, sick, and some have even died. But if we examine ourselves, we, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned. We're being disciplined so that we won't be condemned. How many know that's grace? God's disciplining so we won't be condemned with the world. So the irreverence of the Corinthians during the Lord's Supper is often misunderstood. And I've preached on this 
several times about you have a place at the table and, and, and all that. And, and I think a lot of times what we pull out of the Lord's Supper and, and communion, a lot of times we really miss the significance of that moment of that act. But I think we also overlook something because Paul is not just talking about um, people being weak, sick, and dying prematurely based on taking communion in an unworthy manner. He, he's actually talking to us about Christians, followers of Jesus, who have been saved, yet they have areas of disobedience that they refuse to repent from. That we know what God's Word says, and we know what our actions are, and we know they don't line up, but we don't care. I'm going to keep doing my thing, and I'm not going to address the issue in my own heart. Um, and three consequences are listed. He said, many are sick, many have died, and many are weak. Now, we know what sickness is, we know what death is, but what does he mean by many are weak? If you are to look up the, the definition of being weak, it simply means a lack of strength, impotent, or powerless. Now, how many know that describes the modern church for the most part? Three consequences, death, sickness, weakness. Superman, the substance that was dangerous only to him, removed his strength, all right, this kryptonite did, and not only did it make him, it, it kept him from doing the supernatural things, it made him less than common. And if exposed to kryptonite for too long, Superman could die. What's the point, Pastor Chad? If we are exposed to our own disobedience too long and we refuse to repent, we will also die. It's spiritual kryptonite. Again, we'll get into the specifics of that kryptonite next week. But Paul is telling us that there is a kryptonite in the church, in our relationship with God, and we have to deal with it. And the Corinthian church, what made this such a big deal is that they knew where they were disobedient. Like they knew it. They knew this is where we are disobedient, but we refuse to repent. We refuse to make it right. David, David did this in the Old Testament. He, he committed adultery. He lied about it, and then he had someone murdered. He didn't repent. Look at what the Bible says about David in Psalm 32 and 4. It says, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. What's David saying? I became weak because I didn't deal with my disobedience. God's strength left my life because I refused to walk away from something God said I need to turn from. How many know repentance is not crying in an altar? Repentance is saying that's wrong. I'm going to turn from it and go in a different direction. That's repentance. We got a lot of people that cry over their stuff, but they don't repent over their stuff. If sin is not dealt with, it can do to the believer what kryptonite could do to Superman, even to the point of death. And Paul addresses this church, and he, does, he doesn't say that the cause for all weakness, all sickness, and all death, all right, he doesn't say this is the cause for all of it. For example, do you remember the story when the disciples came to Jesus about the guy who was born blind? And they came to Jesus, and they asked him. They said, Jesus, is this guy blind because he sinned, or is he blind because his mom and dad sinned? And Jesus addressed this mindset because it's not all, okay? Paul, Paul didn't say all. He said many are sick, weak, and, and die, 
okay? So Jesus said, no, he didn't sin and his parents didn't sin, but this, is, this has happened so that God's glory can be manifested. So we need to know that there are personal consequences to sin, right? That, that if I were to commit adultery, I can only commit adultery against one person, and that would be my wife, Karen. If I were to commit adultery against her, do you understand that that would affect me, and that would affect her, and that would affect my four kids? How many know that's just going to be, that's consequences. Like, stupid decision, and look at how much you got to pay for it. We, we all understand sin brings consequences into our life. And, and, and we can't just dismiss uh, and, and say that, that sin is not a big deal because there's another, another part where a guy has uh, an infirmity for 38 years, okay? And Jesus heals the man, but look at what it says in John 5, 14. It says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He connected the guy's infirmity to his sin. And said, you're well, now stop it. Or something worse is going to happen. I, I have seen this take place in people's lives when they have been called out on their disobedience. And instead of saying God's word is right, they want to be right. And when we refuse to repent, when we clearly know what God's word says, we're on dangerous ground. We don't want to hear that. I didn't wake up this morning saying, bless God, I'm excited to preach today. I didn't. This is not a fun message, but it's one the body needs to hear. We need to hear. If there are, if there, if there are areas of disobedience in Chad Dingus's heart, Chad Dingus needs to repent and turn from it. If, if I can look into the word, which the Bible says is a mirror, and it reflects what's going on in my heart, that that doesn't line up with what God wants, then I need to change, not ask God to change. So let, let's, it's going to get worse before it gets better today. <laughs> Jesus was not afraid to confront sin. Paul was not afraid to confront sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, even though Paul spoke the truth, and, and it wasn't popular, here, here's why Paul did it. He said, I wrote that letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. Even in God's correcting, why does he do it? Love. We always want to look at God correcting us as he's harsh. And I can't believe that i got to change that part of my life. And God is saying, I know what's best for you. And I'm going to tell you the truth even if it hurts. And Paul said, I wrote to you guys. You didn't want to hear it. You labeled me a harsh teacher. You, 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 you said all these, these things against me simply because I told you the truth. And he said, I want you to know that I didn't write that letter just to smack your hand and tell you you're doing wrong. I wrote those letters so that you would acknowledge the disobedience in your heart and you would get right with God. Because if you don't get right with God, I know where you're going to spend eternity and you don't want to spend eternity in that place. That's what Paul is saying. And it's breaking my heart. I wrote it in anguish, he said. 
And you, you look at verse 15, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said, I, I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you. Even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. So Paul said, I know this is hard. And the more I love you and the more I tell you the truth, you, you, it, it causes you to hate me. You, you don't want to hear the truth. And the Bible talks about in the last days that the people of God would have what? Itching ears. And they would go to and fro. Why? They want to find preachers who will say what they want to hear. And it's a dangerous place not only for the people, but it's a dangerous place when preachers are afraid to say the truth because somebody may leave. I would much rather stand before God saying, I said the truth and people leave than me tell a lie and people stay. Any day of the week. So Paul speaks. He says, many are sick and many are weak and many are dying. And we miss the context because we only talk about personal walk with God. That's all we want to talk about. My personal walk, my personal walk. Paul is not addressing the Corinthian church with individuals. Listen, guys. He's speaking to them as one body. And this is where we miss it. We think my, my mess, my individual disobedience does not affect anyone else. And Paul, as he did oftentimes, he didn't have just the leaders, read his the leaders of the church read his letters. He wanted those letters read to the body. He wanted the body to hear the message. Because when God looks at Bethesda church, you need to know, if you're against the local church, you're against God. It's the one thing God said, I'll build. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as just individuals who have come here and gathered together to worship God and to hear the word. But he sees us as one body. One body. Everybody say one body. We are, we are one gathering, one body. And he's connecting, and you got to go and read. I don't have time to do it all, but he talks about Israel. And here's what he says about Israel and connects it to the church. He said, they were all led by the Spirit of God. And that was the cloud in the Old Testament. They were all delivered from Egypt. They were all baptized. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual water, which is the Word of God. And the emphasis of, of that entire passage is the word all. That God saw Israel not as individuals, but he saw them as one body. He, he looked at them as one, and then he connects that to the truth that uh, of when he looks at a local church, he doesn't see us as just many members who come together. He looks at us as a whole. And that what I do affects you. And what you do affects me. And what you do affects the person sitting over there. We don't want to hear this. We just want to, we want to think it's just me and Jesus. It's a lie. It's not just you and Jesus. All throughout the Bible, it's always you, Jesus, and others. It's always connected to other people. And when he looks at a local body of believers, God sees us as one. And this was the revelation that I've labored over all week long that I, I, I knew, but I didn't know to this extent. But check this out in 1 Corinthians 10 and 5. It says, yet God, talking about Israel, he said, yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Talking about Israel. God wasn't pleased with most of them, so their bodies were scattered. And God, listen, God loves us deeply. There is nothing we can do to change that. But we also need to know that we are in charge of how pleased God is with us. We are in charge with how pleased God is with us. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand today, but some of us, if we were being really, really honest, we would probably have to admit God hasn't been real pleased with our actions. Man, it's got about 468 chairs in this place. They're all full, just about. Now we got the back doors locked. <laughs> just kidding. But if we were honest, we would say, God's probably not pleased with some of the things in my heart. And these people, Israel, listen guys, they died outside of the promise. They never received the fullness of of what God had for them. And, and Paul lists sins that, 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 the, that the Corinthian church were committing. He talked about sexual immorality. He talked about coveting. He talked about, listen to this, this is one of the sins that Paul talks about. He says, and they complained. Some of us in big trouble. Complaining. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 15 through 18. Paul says, you're a reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the, in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? Although we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? So Paul acknowledges that we are individuals, but as individuals we make up one body and, and we are united as one body just like Israel was united. So here's the big question. Was the judgment of being weak, sick, and dying prematurely assigned to each individual who was sinning or was the body of Christ at Corinth as a whole suffering these consequences due to the behavior of some of its members. Now before I answer this question that's really heavy and you're not going to like the answer of this, I already know that and I didn't like the answer and it's why I've labored all week. We have to understand that God sees us as one. We are the body of Christ. What we do affects not only us as individuals, what we do and how we respond to God's word affects everybody that connected to Bethesda Church. All for one, one for all, right? That's what we're talking about. When I, was, I played sports all growing up, and one of the teams I was on, we said every time, you know, how you do the one, two, three, you know, hustle, one, two, three, we always did all for one, one for all. And I think the church could learn something from that. Because many of us, we come in and we only think about ourselves. We only think about our own issues. But when God started to give the children of Israel the promised land, the first city he was to give them, and I'm going to do this quickly, was the city of Jericho. Jericho was a fortified city 
with massive walls so big that they would do chariot races on top of the walls. And God said, that's the first city, but there's some instructions that I want you guys to know about that city. When you conquer it, I want you to burn everything up, but all the gold and silver and bronze, I want you to bring all of it. Everybody say all of it. I want you to bring all of it into the treasury of the Lord, all of it. All right, no big deal. They march around, the walls fall, they get the stuff. Everybody thinks everything's fine. No one's, no one's wounded. No one is killed. Like, they just take it. Like, this massive city, God gives it to them. But something happens when they move on from the big city of Jericho to the small second place they were to conquer called Ai. It says this in Joshua 7 and 1. It says, but Israel violated the instructions. Check this out. They violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen from, from some of the dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry. Watch this. He was angry with Achan. No. One man messed up and God doesn't say, I'm upset with Achan. God says, I'm upset with Israel. Israel has violated what I've asked them to do. He doesn't even bring Achan up. He just says, I am upset with the whole nation, listen, because one man was disobedient. One man was disobedient. They go to Ai, and they think to themselves, man, we took Jericho down. We shouted a little bit. Walls fell. This is good. They go on to Ai, and the Bible says they thought so little of Ai that they said to themselves, we don't even have to send everybody. It's such a small place. God will surely give it to us. And they sent 3,000 men up. And look at what happens as they go into Ai. It says, so approximately, this is Joshua 7, 4 and 5, approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope, and the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their, cur and their courage melted away. Everybody say kryptonite. Kryptonite had hit the nation of Israel through one man's disobedience. They go up thinking they're going to take it over, and check this out. 36 men lost their lives. 72 moms and dads never saw their son again. A slew of children never saw their dad again. And none of them did anything wrong. None of them did anything wrong. They hadn't sinned. The consequences of one man started hitting the whole nation. And everyone was affected. Now, I'm going to relieve tension in just a little while because some of y'all are scared. Like, you're ready to look at the person sitting next to you. What do you got going on? Come on, don't look at your neighbor and say, what's up, Aiken? All right, don't do it. But as I process this, Israel, they're, they're afraid, rightfully so. They fall on their faces, and they're crying out to God, saying, God, what's up? Why is this happening? God says back to him in, in verses 10 and 11, he said, he said to Joshua, get up. Why are you laying on your face like this? Israel has sinned. He didn't say Aiken. 
Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they've not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden, hidden, uh, and, and hidden the things among their own belongings. So God declares the whole nation, I, I'm displeased with them, doesn't even really call out the one guy who did it. That's what we'd all want to happen, right? We're going to expose Achan. We're going to bring him out in front of everybody, right? This is the guy, God, right here. This is the only one you need to deal with. And they eventually dealt with Achan, but the point that I'm making is that what Achan did affected everyone. And this is the part we don't want to hear. Could it be that many in the church are weak, many in the church are suffering, Many in the church are dying prematurely because of different people's disobedience that is affecting everyone. Single moms that can't make ends meet shouldn't happen in the church. Church shouldn't need government funding. You shouldn't have to pray to be healed for 25 years. We've all known people who died prematurely. We know that they were taken out before their time. Paul said many are weak, many are sick, many are dying prematurely. Think about your body, how all the parts of your individual body are connected, even if they're not in close proximity. Think about this. If one part of your body hurts, your whole body hurts. Like if, if you're diagnosed with the flu, your entire body suffers with loss of appetite, declining strength, clouded thoughts, aches and pains, are all uh, your, your whole body. Like, if you stub your big toe in the middle of the night, how many know your whole body's feeling that? <laughs> but on the other end of that, if, if you get a great back massage, how many know that blesses the whole body? <laughs> Praise God, I feel tension leaving, right? Uh, it, it affects, and so we are connected. We as a church are one, and Paul said the sin of some has resulted in many. The sin of some has resulted in many being sick, weak, and dying. Well, pastor, that's Old Testament, you know, you, with Achan. You know, it's not really New Testament. No, that's what Paul is saying, and then we're going to take it a step further, and y'all not going to like this part, but I promise to bring it to a positive we may be here until 11.30 comes in, but we're going to get to this, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. So this guy, listen, listen, listen. I know some of y'all, is that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in there. This man loved, says he loves Jesus, and he attends church, and says, I love Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but he's having sex with his stepmom. And Paul writes to address this, and it's crazy because he doesn't just speak to the man in the sin, Paul speaks to the whole body there. Like, he's not just calling out the man doing that mess, he's calling out the leaders that know about it. And refused to deal with it. Who knows? Maybe he had influence. Maybe he was a big giver. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Maybe he gives a bunch of money. We, we leave that brother alone. As long as he gives, I don't care what he does on his own time. We don't know why. We don't know why they didn't deal with him. All we know is they refused to deal with him. 
And maybe they just thought eventually he'll, you know, he's here. And, you know, if he's here, at least he's hearing the word, you know, and eventually he'll change. But listen to what Paul says about this man in 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 2, he says, you should remove this man from your fellowship. New Testament, y'all. Can you believe this? Verse 5, you must throw him out. Verse 7, get rid of the yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. And verse 13, you must remove the evil person from among you. In 13 verses, four times, Paul says to the anointing of the Holy Spirit to kick this man out of the church. Now, let me say something. I've not kicked anybody out, and maybe it'll get to that. Who knows? Maybe I'll become a bouncer. I don't know. I'm trying to lighten the mood. This is heavy, y'all. I've tried to pray through this. Like, I was not excited to get up and preach this morning. We are a church that you can belong before you believe. Okay? And I'm going to show you something very powerful that we're missing. And I, I don't want to run out of time. I want you to get this. this. This individual man, Paul likened him to yeast. All right? And yeast is something that spreads rapidly throughout whatever it's in. It, and, and he's saying that if you don't kick this man out, what he's doing is going to become contagious. It's going to, it's, it, it's going to run throughout the body. It's going to, it's going to, uh, there's going to be carnage all around it if you don't deal with this guy's thing. And Paul is connecting it to the Passover meal, which is a picture of salvation that when you and I get saved, all right, they came out of Egypt, salvation, we enter into the kingdom of God. And, and Paul is saying we can't celebrate that with old bread of wickedness, old bread of evil. And so in Exodus 12 and 15, it says, For seven days the, uh, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. So in Exodus, God said, I want you to cut them off. And then Paul comes along and says, I want you to cut them off. I want you to kick them out of the church. Now, here's the deal. This is the part you want to get to. I don't want you to miss this. Look at this. All must repent from known sin, practice disobedience to his word, or they will carry the yeast of sin and its consequences into their community. He said, when I wrote to you before, this is verses 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians 5. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Watch, here's, here's where we draw the line. I wasn't talking about unbelievers. Paul said, I'm not talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Paul comes back and says in verse 11, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims... To be a believer, a follower of Jesus, and indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, worships idols, is abusive, is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. 
You say, Pastor, that's just hard. That's just hard. No, what's hard is for us to act like it's okay for you to confess Jesus and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you still live in complete disobedience and never repent and think everything's going to be okay. It's actually God's grace to say, you need to get up on out of here because what happened to this guy they kicked out is that the hardships hit his life. He woke up, and you later read, the guy they kicked out got right with God and got saved, like really saved. Listen, that's not judgment. If you are professing Christ, that means that the seed of God is in you, and when you mess up, nobody has to tell you you mess up. Some of you are carrying bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, and you know God says you have to forgive, and you choose not to. You're choosing it. You, you know what you're saying? I refuse to get it right. I know God's word, but I refuse to do it. I know what he says, but I'm going to keep doing my thing. And I'm going to come on Sunday and say, I love Jesus. Paul said, it's those people I don't want you to associate with. Listen, the world, can they, can they can be worldly all day, all night, all week, all year. They can party all night, and we should say praise the Lord. But if you're, if you're a person who loves Jesus, how many know? There has to be some areas that God is dealing with, and when God deals with it, we say yes to God and not yes to ourselves. It's quiet in here. You know why? Some of us have, we have, we have, disobedience in our heart God has dealt with us about it over and over we see it in his word and we refuse to change or deal with it it's kind of like a person with a contagious disease can be transmitted how many know that in that community what do they do to that person they quarantine them some of you are like what kind of church is this <laughs> listen this, that's, why do you think I've labored all week that's saying if there's a part in our heart that we're refusing to change and we know what's right and we just, refuse, we just say no to God. Yet we're saying, I love Jesus. How many of we don't get to pick and choose? See, it's not even judgment, it's grace. Worship team, y'all better come or we're not leaving. <laughs> it's actually God's grace because listen, if I don't say it and, and, and we don't preach on it, and you, and you think it's okay to live in open rebellion to God and still come and say, I love Jesus, and you go to hell, how many know that? Your, your blood's on my hands. Now, the positive. Some of y'all waiting on that. Um, man, it's just too many notes. You, you need to get the book. You need to read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Listen, here's the best way to explain it. Take a, a single lady, young, who's not married, don't have children, and she's living it up. Partying, having sex with a bunch of different men. And she's thinking, it only affects me. But how many know that if that young lady gets married and then has children, there's certain things that she's not going to do any longer 
because she wants to stay married and she wants those kids to know how much she loves them. Right? How many of your family can keep you from doing stupid things? Listen, the same way I don't want to do anything stupid to mess up my marriage and to mess up the way my kids perceive God, we have to bring that same mindset into the local body and say, I don't want my mess. Somebody's got to get a hold of it. I don't want my mess to impact you. That's loving one another. That's loving one another. And when the church, what is the potential of Bethesda Church? I think it's the same potential that they had in the book of Acts. The Bible says they were in one place, in one accord, as one body. What happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out. One day, 3,000 people got saved. The next day, 5,000 people got saved. One day, a lame man got up and walked. Chapter 4 or 5 says that all of their needs were met. The Bible says they laid people's bodies out into the streets and their shadows cast on them would heal those broken bodies. God began to open up the windows of heaven where sorcerers could see that God is, a, is an almighty God. Listen, regions and cities. Listen, a girl by the name of Tabitha was raised from the dead and it was all because they understood we are one body. We all love Jesus. We're not perfect. But when we mess up, you know what? We're going to repent, turn from it, because I don't want my mess to affect you. I don't want your mess to affect me. And I want us to live under an open heaven. Anybody want to see that happen? Come on, somebody. I want to live under an open heaven. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm way past time, way, way past time. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. If you're in this place and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, but you know that you need him today, you need your sins to be forgiven, you need to make things right with God today. You need to repent. Not just say a prayer. You need to turn from some, some things today. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. Thank you for this hand. Thank you for this hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Another one here. God bless you. Three more online, God bless you. Another one in the back, God bless you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Anyone else, shoot that hand up long enough for me to acknowledge it. Thanks for that hand. Awesome. God's doing the work right now. See, this is what happens when truth is preached. The Bible says they preached the word and people were convicted of their sins and they repented. That's, that's what this is all about. Every voice lifted, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Today, I am turning from them and turning to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate all those hands. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.